moment and a few others. But right now I'm joined by Professor Jonathan Boston from Victoria University. Good morning, Jonathan. Morning, Jamie. How are we today, sir? I'm well, and it's a fabulous day here in Dunedin. Yeah, welcome to Autiporti. Uh, you are from the School of Government of Victoria, um, a professor in policy studies. Yes. Yes, and uh, you're here um, to be the busiest man in Dunedin over the next few days. Uh-huh. Not quite. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I, have, think, I have six talks lined up, which might is be, great. I think you're probably busier than David Clark, to be honest. Um, <clears throat> now, you have a lunchtime forum today on the election, uh, followed by a lecture on climate change ethics. Uh, then tomorrow you have a lecture at the Business School on climate change and the economy, and then another at the Centre of Sustainability. Then a talk in South Dunedin, which I think would be very important, um, because you know they're at the coalface, really, mm. as far as New Zealand goes in terms of climate change. You're talking about adaptation there. Uh, and finally, a sermon uh, on Sunday at the East Tyree Church on Christianity and politics. Um, I want to begin with one question, um, because you're obviously um, very passionate about politics and climate change. Um, <clears throat> is it time for people to start voting along climate lines? Um, you know, do governments have to act now? Are we heading in the right direction, or can we rely on um, traditional party policy and the policy that parties, you know, the main parties are putting out now to be doing the right thing and, and being necessary um, for long-term uh, minimalisation of climate <coughs> effects. Okay, so look, there are many, many policy issues which matter, mm-hmm. uh, including in this general election. But one of the aspects of climate change which is fundamental for people to understand is the irreversibility mm-hmm. of its consequences. And the longer we take to act to reduce emissions, the more serious, widespread and irreversible the consequences. And it's the irreversible aspect, Jamie, that worries me most because there is no going back with irreversibility. We have a very, very small window now left to, at at a global level, to avoid more than two degrees of warming. And all countries, including New Zealand, in my view, should be doing their utmost to ensure we act within that window. Mm -hmm. Sadly, over the last nine years or so, the current government has, in effect, parked climate change and done very little. In fact, we've gone backwards and our emissions have gone up. This is really, really (laughs) unfortunate. We now, and perhaps even worse in the United States, have a president who who appears to be a climate sceptic and has uh, set in train the process for the United States to withdraw from the Paris Agreement, which mm. is a landmark agreement uh, which, which 195 countries have, <coughs> have signed up to. The only yeah. exceptions other than the United States being Nigeria and Syria, which are hardly countries you'd want to be um, uh, associated with. So... Um, Nicaragua, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's Nigeria. 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 Sorry, sorry, Nicaragua. <laughs> uh, another N. So yeah, yeah. The, 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 the issue we face is we need to reduce our greenhouse gas emissions and we need to do that rapidly. We need mm-hmm. to get to something close to zero carbon emissions, ideally no later than uh, the middle of the century. Uh, and currently in New Zealand, we do not have the policy settings to get there. So in terms of this election, I think this is an incredibly important issue, and I think it should influence people's voting patterns and behaviours. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, it's hard, I guess, because uh, it gets bogged down and covered over by other big issues that people are worried about uh, in terms of housing, uh, immigration, unfortunately, and the like. I mean, do you think sometimes that other policies are used as a tool to hide away from 
from that fact because no one really wants to touch climate change um, for fear because we are all going to have to make some big changes uh, economically uh, it's going to hit everybody but it's eventually going to do that regardless yes. um, but it just seems to me that the political will and the fear of politicians losing their job and their position um, um, is higher on their agenda than to actually do something now. Yes, and, and that's one reason why I think it would be preferable if we could have a multi-party agreement. Mm. Uh, an agreement that would cover the broad long-term objective, which has to be zero net emissions, yeah. uh, and some agreement on the broad time frame within which that has to be achieved, uh, and then agreement on the, the policy framework that needs to be um, pursued, but also the institutional arrangements we need to facilitate that. Um, in the United Kingdom, the three major parties at, the po at that point in 2008, um, the Conservatives, the Liberal Democrats and the Labour Party, uh, unanimously supported uh, a climate change act mm -hmm. which set up a structure to reduce emissions by 80% by 2050 that will probably have to be increased but 80% reduction is still pretty good uh, and then put in place a framework uh, of institutions and, and policy arrangements to get the country there yeah. and that, that agreement has stuck now sadly we have yet to get uh, a proper kind of multi-party agreement and, and I think for an issue like climate change, which is an intergenerational issue of such gravity, it's the kind of issue we should have a multi-party agreement on. That would provide cover for the parties that have to make hard decisions yep. because th they would have, at least in broad terms, the support of the other parties in the parliament. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and um, no matter the change of government in, in the exactly. future, you still have to stick yes. to that. It also has the advantage of giving the business community certainty. They, they can see the direction. They can thus... Uh, reorientate their investment patterns to take the, to take the 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 program of action into account. Mm -hmm. uh, it probably will enable a, a more cost-effective reduction in emissions, um, and it provides a context in which there can be much better, if you like, political leadership, um, much better uh, uh, kind of engagement with the public about the importance and urgency of the issue, and and mobilise action at multiple levels, individual, yeah. community, local government, business and so on. Well, individual um, responsibility on this is very important. Every single man, woman Absolutely. and child Absolutely. has to play their part. Yes, but there are limits to what individuals can do yeah. by themselves. Yeah, that's right. So individuals by themselves can't reduce methane emissions from cows. No. Uh, individuals by themselves uh, can make choices on how they transport themselves. We can ride on the bus. But yeah. uh, they can't bring about a revolution in in public transport or in uh, moving to electric vehicles or something they can on the margins make decisions but we need collective action through regulation and and, and other governmental instruments to bring about the changes required with the speed we need. Mm -hmm. It's interesting when you talk about electric vehicles because you see what some countries are doing overseas, France and the UK. Yes. Uh, they are banning, um, you know, diesel engines by a certain year or all petrol engines. By 2040. Yes, yes. And, yes. and um, I mean, some people are saying that's not soon enough as well. I, Indeed. I, I would assume, but our government seems to be lagging behind. Um, and why is that? Why well, do we... It, it, it's completely behind. <laughs> I mean, we haven't even talked about it, yeah, uh, yeah. let alone acted. I mean, but, I mean, why is there... Uh, are they are they scared of the business roundtable? Uh, are they they are they worried that because we are reliant on such um, uh, on industry that creates so much uh, fossil fuel emissions in terms of methane or uh, carbon dioxide and whatnot from from planes, um, 
you know, and do, are they so short-sighted that they, they, they don't see that we could possibly be a leader in green tech going forward? I mean, the, we've, we've only got a small window to yes. do that as well, and it's been talked about for a very long time. Yes. Well, look, I, I, to be honest, Jamie, I do not fully understand why the leadership of the, Labor, uh, of the, yes. the current government, the National <laughs> Party, has been so um, resistant yeah. to providing leadership on climate change. You know, for example, the previous Prime Minister, um, John Key, I don't think ever, he ever gave uh, a speech on climate change, specifically on climate change, mm-hmm. in his whole eight years as Prime Minister. And he only mentioned it once in his, state, in his eight State of the Nation speeches, and that once was about eight words. Um, the current Prime Minister, to my knowledge, likewise, has never given a Dear, major speech on climate Dear change. So, so, so here we have a situation, uh, one of the most significant issues facing humanity, no political leadership. Now, why is that? Well, I can only assume either the current Prime Minister and his predecessor simply do not accept the gravity of the situation and therefore basically reject the science. Mm-hmm. Or they accept but have made the call that this is not going to be politically convenient yeah. and therefore they're not going to act. Which then raises some pretty serious moral issues. Why, why would you accept the science yeah. and, and the potential risks we face as a human species and, and then not act? Yeah, uh, you know it, it, it can only be regarded as very disagreeable. But I they've think. got they've, so so. Uh, the other thing to say in this context is that the government came into office with a with a strategy which was a a, a growth strategy based on essentially growing a high carbon economy. Yeah, it, it was to expand uh, agricultural production, particularly uh, the intensification of dairying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is emissions intensive. It was to expand tourism, which is emissions intensive. It was to expand <coughs> oil and gas exploration and production, which is emissions intensive. Yeah. So I think they, they found themselves committed to a whole series of strategies that were completely contrary to a strategy of decarbonisation. And they've taken, you know, now eight, nine years to kind of begin to recognise <laughs> that they that they, they were pursuing uh, a, a, a completely flawed approach yeah. if the goal is to reduce emissions, which it must be. Well, even then, I, it seems like maybe they think they're only, they've got to that conclusion, not necessarily for emissions, but because we, we as uh, New Zealanders, are getting sick and tired of um, just the pollution in terms of a, a local level in our rivers. Uh, in our streams, in our lakes, um, um, and sure. they seem more concerned about making those swimmable uh, and stopping cows from uh, effluing in the water than they are um, with, you know, them farting and, and creating methane. Yes, but in, t- in terms of the issues of water management, it's taken this government a very long time, even to begin to support the notion of swimmability. Remember, Which, it was weightability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, but it's still weightability. Weight, it's still weightability if you well, look at the numbers. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I, again, I think we we have to face uh, uh, the challenge here that that uh, and this isn't just an issue for national. It's it's an issue I think for the whole community that as a that as a as a nation we have not valued agricultural sorry uh, environmental goods, pure water, yeah, uh, a, a clean environment. Um, uh, low emissions and so on. We have not valued those things adequately and that's been reflected in our voting behaviour, it's been reflected in government policy decisions, uh, it's been reflected in public debate uh, and we have to change. Now thankfully I think there is a movement of change well underway now and the other thing to say of course is that New Zealand will be able to ride on the coattails of the 
enormous technological changes that are occurring internationally. Some of those are going to be very, very positive for us. Some of them are going to be major threats to the yeah. New Zealand economy. For example, cellular agriculture, um, you know, with synthetic foods, mm -hmm, milk, mm -hmm. be, uh, f uh, meat, eggs, and so on. If that really took off, it would have a profound impact on our current livestock agriculture, yeah. Yeah. which would dramatically reduce emissions. But of course, it would have huge economic dislocation. We're not talking about that yet, and we need to. We, we need to be wrestling with these huge changes that are coming at us. From well, we need to be jumping in on that. We, we, well, I mean, you've seen this government's also cut R&D funding yes. over the course of many years and many election cycles. Uh, many, many governments. Yep, 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 you're right. Many, many governments have mm. too. Uh, mm. uh, and that's an, another issue. I mean, we have wonderful facilities like Otago University and Victoria University have some wonderful scientists that are doing some yes. great work. Um, but they're, only, they're getting funding from outside companies that go in and take that property, uh, and then those profits go offshore anyway. Yes, I mean, I think, I think perhaps a critical point here, Jamie, is that as a country, we have not been investing adequately in research and development, yeah. both privately and publicly. And that has been an issue during the whole of my academic career. <laughs> it's something I've actually tried on the margins to do something about, but not, yeah. not very successfully. <laughs> Um, all right, you're giving a talk in, uh, in South Dunedin, um, but that's where I'm uh, born and bred, uh, so it's very passionate to me. I live in the lowlands. I've got, you know, I you only dig a few feet under my house and you'll have water. Sure. Um, and, you know, we're all, they're already facing flooding issues out there and rising insurance costs, which is a very important one here. Sure. Um, now, uh, um, what, what, what are you exactly going to say to people out there? And, uh, you know, it sounds like the government... For me, I think the government should be doing more to help with insuring those homes um, and, and, of course, moving people um, out to other areas. Um, you know, does the EQC cover those homes and is the EQC uh, doing enough um, looking forward as well for, in terms of climate change? Because we are experiencing a lot, a lot more weather events as well. Yes. All right, Jamie. So various critical points just to clarify. The first is that climate change will have profound impacts mm -hmm. uh, globally one of the most important will be sea level rise. The seas have risen close to 20 centimetres already mm -hmm. over the last century or so, and they're expected to rise somewhere between half a metre and perhaps well over a metre uh, uh, by 2100. This will have huge consequences for coastal settlements right around the world. South Dunedin is simply a, a, a small if you like, microcosm yeah. of a global challenge that we face. Uh, as a nation, we are yet to really wrestle nationally with the challenge of sea level rise. We have no new funding instruments in place. We have no new mechanisms in place to deal with it. We need that. Dunedin can't be expected to handle this problem on its own. In mm -hmm. the case of Dunedin, you have literally thousands of properties, 3,000 plus properties in South Dunedin that are vulnerable, up to 10,000 people, um, many, many schools uh, and businesses. Um, that are going to be vulnerable to sea level rise and increased flooding over the coming uh, half century and beyond. So what I'm going to be talking to the folk in South Dunedin about is how at a national level we need to be putting in place policies and mechanisms that will enable us to handle this problem. You mm -hmm. mentioned EQC. Well, in New Zealand we have, in a sense, very good policy frameworks in place to deal with disasters once they've happened. Yeah. But we don't have good pre-disaster planning and funding. What we need to address climate change, and particularly sea level rise, 
is a, a funding mechanism that can facilitate people uh, who need to move, mm -hmm. moving, being relocated, and being properly compensated for the costs involved. And this has to be done in a, a, in a very carefully planned way with proper community engagement and consultation, with a proper exploration of the options and a costing of the options, uh, but in a context where there is a national framework yeah. with proper funding to facilitate the changes. We can't just let uh, communities, and particularly poor communities such as South Dunedin, uh, flounder and, and in a sense sink yeah. <laughs> on their own. We're going to have to have a strategy, and it has to be a national strategy that's going to, in a sense, have a, a very similar framework for the, for the people, whether they're in Westport or Napier mm -hmm. or Fongaray, Invercargill, East Christchurch, South Dunedin, the Hutt Valley, etc., etc. Yeah, and so that's what I'm going to be talking about on Saturday. I mean, we need to come together as a community, as as a nation, and see that there's this is a real issue that we need to tackle. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And and unfortunately, hardly anyone's talking about it. Yeah, yeah. That's but it's right. right on our doorstep, and uh, it's not an issue for ten years, or twenty years, or forty years, or a century. It's an issue for now. It worries me because I I feel like New Zealanders are becoming more and more selfish, and I can imagine a lot of people are going to be calling out, "Why should I pay?" I know that's not a question I'm really putting to you. That's just my own opinion. Well, I, I worry sure. about that. And, and, you know, and well, I, I mean, my, my short answer to that would be if, if, <laughs> if we don't pay for good prevention and precautionary measures, we're going to be paying right, yeah. an awful lot more mm -hmm. to manage right. disasters. And that's an argument that's been around so for a long time if, with climate change. It, exactly. This is, so this is one of the intertemporal problems we face, that unless we're prepared to invest now, both to mitigate and yeah. to adapt, we're going to be faced with vastly greater costs in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Of course, tragically, um, a, a disproportionate proportion of those costs are going to be borne by future generations yeah. who are going to be innocent victims of our failures. Yeah. Yeah. Now, my view is we know what's coming. We need to be responsible. We need to be thoughtful. We need to be proactive. And we need to be putting in place policies and frameworks that will enable us to minimize future costs and to make these transitions equitably, uh, in particular, so that the most vulnerable people are protected. Yeah, and we're at, the, we're at that crossroads right now. You either choose, indeed, you choose one way or the other, and uh, I think indeed. there's only really one way you can go. Um, all right, brilliant. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, but thank you so much for coming you, in Jamie. this morning. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Um, right, like I said, you've got a, lo a lot of things going on uh, over the next uh, few days. What are you doing today? So today I've got a, I'm participating in a lunchtime forum on mm -hmm. the election, and, and that's going to focus specifically on the issues that we're not talking about. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, and that we should be talking about. Yeah, and then I'm giving a talk to um, uh, uh, an interdisciplinary class. Uh, I think it's an undergraduate class that's focusing on climate change, but looking at it from a whole variety of perspectives: yeah. um, scientific, legal, policy, ethical, and so on. Uh, and then I've got a meeting after that with the, um, it's, a, it's a meeting of the group called Wise Response, which is headed up by Sir Alan Mark, who I'm sure yes. uh, listeners here in Dunedin will know well. Uh, Alan is one of our, our gems as a citizen, um, mm -hmm. led the campaign against um, the raising of Lake Manapuri and has contributed enormously as a, as a botanist of high distinction um, yes. over a long period of time. So he's been leading this group called Wise Response, which is trying to get the government to act um, uh, urgently and effectively on climate change uh, and then tomorrow I've got a couple of other 
engagements. Yeah, business school. You have the business school tomorrow and a few other things. Um, mm. Brilliant. Uh, um, well, hopefully uh, people get along to at least see one of your things uh, because it, uh, it all sounds very fascinating. And um, I'd like, once again, thank you so much for coming in this morning. My pleasure, Jamie. I really hope that I don't have to have too many more meetings with people like you in the future. Well, <laughs> I, I, I understand the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that the positive way. Yeah, please do. Please do. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Jamie. All right. So almost time for news.